Welcome back to Night School, episode 32, The Poems of Robert Frost, part three. And back with me is my esteemed colleague after about a month sabbatical, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Welcome back. Hey, yeah, we've been doing other things, but I guess we haven't actually had any time for night school in a, in a while. So yeah, it's good to be back. I know. And so that's sort of the nice thing of being sort of early and young in our careers, because probably a lot of this will get listened to serially once it's all out in sort of a Netflix style fashion or after we become independently famous of this, should that ever happen. Um, so it shouldn't be too much of an issue, but for anybody who is following along, you know, always let us know. Just uh, comment on the YouTube video or the anchor, leave a message or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be long. It can be like a like. And um, then we know that uh, you're listening. And I, I personally, that helps me improve. That helps me work harder. Um, how about you, Wes? It's always great to hear from people um, if they've got thoughts or if they just, you know, are listening and out there. It's good to know. All right. And so this time, and sort of apropos, given our 2019 um, sort of political situation, I, of course, live in San Diego, so near to Mexico and where uh, sort of wall efforts are going on. But um, looks like Robert Frost here wants to give us the poem Mending Wall, or rather on Poetry Foundation 101 site. Um, Mending Wall is the next on the docket after mowing, like last time. And so I can't recall who read it last time, but I'm perfectly happy to read this and have you take a stab at it first. Yeah, go for it. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it, and spills the upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I've come after them and made repair, for they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them, made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us again, we keep the wall between us as we go. To each the boulders that have fallen to each, and some are loaves and some so nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side, it comes to little more. There, where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there, bringing a stone grass firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage arm. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only and the shade of trees. 
he will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. That one's all over the place. Isn't it? Huh. Okay, so I thought I thought just my diction was all over the place, that my, my tempo and rhythm, and I think Ezra Pound would make fun of me uh, to some extent, but my goodness, yeah, I, I felt the same. Sorry. It's okay. No, I don't know that it was just you reading it. I think there's something in the poem itself that's, uh, that's kind of messing with you because of how, how uh, differently each line sort of works with the meter, you know, uh, and each um, syntactical unit works with or against the meter and the line. It, it's really right. interesting. Um, so you could think about like, well, like, I don't know, one way to think about it might be in terms of as a poet, you are working with a form, right? And you're always sort of playing with the form and pushing against it. And so that's a kind of wall, you know, it's a kind of limit. Um, and it sort of forces you to be creative to an extent. I guess you could also think of the wall as the language itself too, though, like mm -hmm. the, you know, this, cause it's this thing that each year they go out, he and his neighbor and they, they, they put it back together where it's fallen down. So, you know, that's kind of, to maybe more like the language itself than any particular poem where you have to kind of restore and, and transmit these things. Otherwise it'll just kind of crumble. Um, but you know, the something that doesn't love a wall uh, at the start of the poem, it sounds like nature itself, you know, the, the, fr the frost um, that, that f finds its way through and, and causes cracks in the wall. And it sounds like in the next little section that it's the hunters, right? It's them, traipsing along and scaring animals and dogs, you know, chasing rabbits that, that causes um, boulders to fall in, over time. Um, but I think it also might just be like this idea of, um, you know, kindness or this idea of like, you know, live and let live that the speaker seems to represent, whereas his neighbor is like, you know, he repeats it, fences make good neighbors. And, and that's like a proverb part of the language um, that's been kind of distilled over time and, you know, rounded. Um, and he sort of just rolls that back at the speaker over and over. Um, so there, there's a kind of uh, a joke, you know, embedded in it too, where he'll say, you know, uh, something doesn't love a wall. It could be elves, you know, that's not really, that's not really, uh, I think to be taken literally or something here. It's like, there's just this kind of force of, of, of stuff, you know, coming apart over time. You could call it uh, chaos or entropy if, if you want to be sort of uh, somber about it, but you could be, you just call it elves if you're being lighthearted. But again, I think it's, you know, it's something like the, the same thing that, that uh, over and over sort of generates this urge to, to try to make poems too and, and make new phrases, make new um, proverbs that are going to sort of enrich the language. And, and Frost is one of the poets who's really, you know, recently been, been able to do that. Like the, the something there is that doesn't love a wall has become a part of the language, I think, just as much as, you know, fences make good neighbors. Hmm. That's excellent. I hadn't thought of the language element that we speak of that theme so often with these poets. Of course, the word poet and poem coming from the Greek word poein, which means to make, like facio in Latin, or uh, aber, 
I, or hacer in Spanish, right? And so interesting. Um, I, I also wondered whether there was a, uh, a, I wanted to give an interpretation of the elves as, say, the mischievous thoughts within man, and that walls produce elvish-like thoughts. And there is a French proverb. No, no, no. Excuse me. It's a. It's an. I, I believe uh, Irish militia. I forget exactly what they're called. The rebellious Irish group, sometimes defined as a terrorist group. They uh, they have a proverb which is, uh, if you build a wall. 50 feet, you just make us capable of scaling 51 or something like that. And I, I wonder to what extent the idea is that uh, no matter how high you build a wall, you're the sort of, in this sort of a Jungian interpretation, uh, the compensatory effect in the people who will want to get over it will compel them to get over it regardless of the size. And just um, as sort of an alternate interpretation to the one you showed, I don't think in contradiction in any way, I wonder to what extent these artificial walls that are subject to entropy that perhaps never should be made themselves are, are um, sort of the walls we put between each other that keep us from, say, true relationship or relationship of being to being and sharing our true information with each other in sort of a one perspective with another and then boom, Hegelian or Trinitarian, new, larger, unified perspective shared between us that these walls just take time away from us and are wasted effort. And that were we to spend our time, uh, he doesn't suggest the image of a bridge, but at least not making these walls, we might be putting our hands to um, firmer, more eternal, uh, more useful work as well. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a part there where I'm not sure if the wall itself goes away or it's just that, that um, it doesn't really make that much difference uh, because there's like this orchard area, right, where um, that he says that's where we don't need the wall. Uh, he's got the pine trees on one side and the speaker has the apple trees on the other. Um, and that's, you know... I guess one way of thinking about it is like there's sort of natural boundaries as well, um, which you could delineate through like the things that tend to naturally grow in one place or another, or, uh, you know, other kinds of historical customs or, you know, habits and things like that. I think that, you know, all of those things are probably like your point about the wall that you build a little higher though, you know, even if you build the wall a little lower and you say, let's delineate things based on, where this tree or that tree grows, well, there's still gonna be that same urge that's gonna be like, well, let's not have like limits between trees, man. Let's just graft the trees together and make, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like you can go, you can go down the, the other path just as, as much and, and try to sort of continually undercut it until you have uh, no, no distinctions between um, anything, right? So it's like, I think that's kind of an interesting thought experiment like uh to to look at the poem from that angle and say like so so can we just get rid of the wall entirely like okay so then what do we do do we just get rid of you know the the different um yards entirely or whatever you know just like mingle uh mingle the the two orchards uh, discriminately or, or what like i don't know i, I think again the poem itself seems to be embracing a kind of tension between those two urges, like the urge to keep the wall sturdy and the urge to let it, you know, kind of come apart and just see what happens. Um, 
there's that question like in towards the end i guess kind of in the middle like why do they make why do they make neighbors where there are cows but here there are no cows <laughs> i just think that's a that's a great comeback um yeah there's no cows so like why bother with a wall right we we know where our our boundaries are um but with that said you see good yeah, that's very interesting because um, another sort of Jungian interpretation of this is that uh, Jung suggests that religions don't exist to uh, cultivate religious experience, but to preserve people against religious experience, suggesting that like with Meister Eckhart, religious experience is a, a mysterium tremendum, an experience of that which is utterly terror inducing sort of like that old onion video that ran around about 10 years ago about where uh, an onion article uh, or onion um, reporter tried to re <laughs> take an interview with God, but he just uh, sort of like sees the uh, Imago day and sort of goes insane. Um, but that um, we think we don't need the walls. And so this is sort of the tension between the conservatism and liberalism that I think you were touching on. The conservative tendency is to put walls around, you know, the meaning of words, people, and even lang yeah, and language, of course, like I mentioned first, uh, to keep things uh, in their appropriate boxes, to color within the lines, uh, to follow the rules. Whereas the liberal tendency is to not follow the rules because that is in contrast to the idea of making progress and producing new things. And so they sort of feel hampered by the rules. And so what's interesting here is that I think we're bringing this back to our sort of conversation on the uh, poetic tradition because, uh, of course, uh, Robert Frost is doing something new with his words and writing a new poem with an interesting theme, with an interesting meter and an interesting size, but he is, of course, also bound to the poetic form. He is also a poet within that chain, right? He is chained together with the others, sort of like a figure of Jesus on the cross, like, like by his blood and sacrifice, he is chained to uh, uh, something which is by its nature typical, but can also be unique based on the skill applied to it. And um, I, I completely agree that um, we do have these walls. They do seem to be useful and good. And, and they also, like I would say human institutions like the state and a religion, offer people a medium through which to communicate, which I think on the one hand hampers pure communication uh, sort of like you were saying, but on the other makes it possible to communicate in a meaningful way because if you don't have distinctions, what exactly are you saying? That seems to be sort of like the free love idea, right? Like you're just sort of saying love, love, love. It's like you're barking at somebody um, rather than giving them a sophisticated sort of nuanced notion of what it is you've perceived in the world and adding that to theirs. Um, so I suppose I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, right on. Yeah, I think that uh, the political element is is certainly implicit, um, and I think it's kind of funny. There's the image that he he gives towards the end of his neighbor as uh, old stone savage, because <laughs> yes. he's carrying the one stone in either hand. So this guy is, uh, you know, he looks like a troll kind of, um, <laughs> but he's also really strong, you know, and he does seem to be a good worker and um you know a husbandman like of his land he takes care of it and you know that's the kind of person who does make a good neighbor um and and maybe more so more to the point like the the sort of 
the difference between the two, right? The one who is more liberal, if you like, the other who's more conservative, them being neighbors and being in the contiguous kind of, and, and necess like necessarily rubbing shoulders at least once a year, right? To mend the wall. That, that seems to be good too, right? Having that kind of give and take. And um, you, you can sort of imagine this, this liberal uh, speaker, you know, he writes this longish poem, whereas the conservative <laughs> uh, 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 character in it has just basically one line that he, he comes back with over and over and that's good enough for him, right? That's what it comes down to. Right, right, I think that's a, uh... That's very good. And so, well, then I guess I just have one question about this. Why, what do you think the repetition is doing in here? Something there is that doesn't love a wall, I think is repeated three times. Good fences make good neighbors is repeated twice. Um, do you think the math of that first, is that true that something there is that doesn't love a wall is there three times? I see it the one time in the first line there, of course. I, okay, good. I see it down uh, near the middle, just past that something there is that doesn't love a wall right before that once it down, I could say elves to him. And, oh, is that the only other one? So what do you say, what do you think about the parody then of good fences make good neighbors and something there is that doesn't love a wall? Because if, if those are perfectly paired, I think your point carries perfectly that there's equal value to the sort of 50-50 approach of the conservative liberal that there is something to be said for bringing the past into the present while also striving for something new in the future. Um, unless I did miscount, in which case I would also suggest a mathematical interpretation of that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm only seeing them kind of repeated once, if you like, or, you know, appearing twice each. Right, um, right. That's what I'm and seeing. I guess, yeah, well, like, the fact that the liberal has to repeat at all is kind of interesting in that regard he's mm. he's kind of coming around to become a bit of a conservative himself that's sort of something i noticed as you were saying that whereas that's you know because he's yeah, subject to on the, the other too yeah well sure and on the other hand the other guy um you know has to kind of bring about into existence this saying, you know, he has to give it the life of, of saying it aloud. You know, it's not enough that his, uh, I think it's like his father has passed him um, this phrase, like he has to kind of bring it into being. And so in, in that regard, you know, what's old is new again. Um, he gets the last word, you know, uh, but I, I feel like there, there still has been some movement um, from where he started, and maybe just in so far as he had to kind of think about it, you know, he got this kind of notion put into his head by the other's uh, questions and kind of um, gentle mockery, maybe, you know, like, I, I do think that there is some kind of progression that we're seeing here, um, and not not simply a, a seesaw or, you know, a, a circle. Well, you know, circles on wheels move forward well. And so very interesting to what extent uh, this is linear or cyclical, depending on which perspective you see it from, whether you can see it two-dimensionally or three-dimensionally in that respect. But I, I guess that's a reason why to keep reading this Robert Frost, because sometimes context comes with time and with uh, additional material. And so, um, well, the next poem is Home Burial, 
and it looks it looks like it might need its own episode now that I'm I'm scrolling through it. Um, so, do you have any do you have any final thoughts on this particular one? Did you notice anything specific about the language? The lines seem sort of similar in length, sonnet fashion. It looks like they they look like without counting, they might have around eleven syllables. If I just look at one randomly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, but the it is one large this uh, mending wall, like a wall is many uh, lines that make up one large stanza as well. Um, and it, like a wall that has been, um, that is sort of uneven due to the labors of time, has unequal line length. So if you were to look at the poem horizontally, like it were a bar graph, you would see that it goes up and down and, 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 and up and down again. And so that there's possibly a suggestion of sort of uh, the nature of time within even a wall or an institution or an institution like a poem, even through the physical form of the poem. Though, of course, I know it's uh, repeated here or reprinted here uh, on the computer that the, the lines are also still different in length in terms of um, in, in, in terms of syllables. So even written by hand, they would be different in length. Yeah, I, I was trying to count some of the lines, and uh, they do differ a little bit, but mostly they seem to be uh, ten syllable, which is kind of the standard, you know, modern English meter or so. Uh, well, not meter, but you know, length of syllables anyway. Um, I'm not sure. He probably is doing some interesting things with with the actual rhythm, um, but I'd have to, you know break it down a little bit to try to figure out what exactly those are. Overall, I mean, it seems like fairly natural speech patterns and I don't notice a whole lot of sort of flourishes of, uh, of, mu of much of anything um, sound-wise. There's some strange, you know, images that you get in there. Um, we mentioned the elves and the kind of troll or troglodyte image, um, which seemed to be Kind of juxtaposed there. I, I'm also, you know, always interested in in trees. Um, the 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 two orchards, how how pines and apple trees differ, um, and how they might sort of represent the two two sides here. But overall, I mean, yeah, I think this would be a good one for people who are more politically kind of engaged to slow down and and read with you know somebody who has a different political opinion and you know, talk about this and see what they come up with. Cause uh, I think it's, uh, it's not just a, a good thing to do in English class, you know, the, the poem or what is it? The poets or the, uh, the legislators of the world, I think someone said. Well, I think the lines, oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on the side, it comes a little more, are two lines well worth keeping in mind regardless of what your endeavor is in this world, uh, and perhaps especially if you're politically minded. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side, that means you need the other person to play the game you love so much. It comes a little more, it means leave it in the office, you know, uh, that's but one part of life, regardless of how big a deal you think it is. And perhaps the more you think it is the biggest deal, the less you see of life.
Um, and you know, that does seem to be true. Uh, we have psychologically shown that Dan Simon with the invisible gorilla um, video. One thing that shows us is that, you know, if you're asked to count the number of passes of a basketball between three or four people, you'll miss the changing curtain behind the changing color of the curtain behind you. You'll miss that one of the players leaves in the updated video. And you'll miss that, of course, that a giant gorilla comes in the middle of the circle and starts beating its chest. And it seems to whatever extent you're over focused on anything, especially something like the political, you might miss really interesting things like giant gorillas walking into the middle of your frame of vision and beating their chests. And, uh, well, that seems like a very interesting thing to see, uh, rather than just how many people are passing a ball. <laughs> I have seen that video. Um, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by what it sort of tells us about ourselves. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good to be moving on this particular project again, again, uh, like Wes said, we're working on a lot of stuff. We're coming to the close of our side quests, uh, Final Fantasy VII segment pretty soon. And so that's really cool. Uh, we have a couple of interviews coming up very soon. Uh, we have Harry Potter up again tomorrow. And um, we're current events again soon, too. We, uh, we have a couple of different topics lined up coming up. Um, and I'm going to talk with your friend Joe at some point, too, right? Yeah, tentatively uh, one of these Fridays, I think we can talk about uh, organizing online teaching, um, uh, maybe teaching strikes and all that uh, goes with that. So yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah, very much so, very much so. We're, we're always interested to hear what people have to say on interesting topics like those, and especially given the fact that we were talking about a strike recently. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. I'm very interesting stuff. So for next time, Home Burial by Robert Frost. And it'll be interesting to keep giving this guy a shake. Uh, perhaps we'll have to, and I know this is very different, read some Borges at some point in the Spanish. And you can sort of guide us through that, Wes. I'm very interested in tapping into your language skills at some point, as much as I do love doing the Americans and the language we both know and love. English, of course. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I always like reading poetry in other languages. I think that's a really valuable um, thing to try, at least, and, and can be really fun. So, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, till next time, talk to you tomorrow. All right, thanks. Take it easy. You too.